0: So when you consider the, the the core teachings of the Buddha, the Four Noble Truths, actually it's, you can recognise this is not <clears throat> all that easy because uh, you know dukkha, suffering, stress, misery, disappointment, loss, dissatisfaction has to be understood and uh, before it can be the origin can be penetrated. And a release can be discerned and a path can be made. And by and large, our minds do not wish to meet stress, suffering, dissatisfaction, misery, (laughs) pain and despair. (laughs) They run like crazy away from that or they wince and they tighten up and we defend ourselves against it or we spit it out and blame it on things around us. We blame it on other people, we blame it on people in the past, we blame it on the world, blame it on God, whatever. So just generally what happens, you know, you, you get that f- touch of the whip of dukkha and the the thing the mind bolts like a horse. And it's generally scrambles or it or that or it just closes up and defends itself with not my problem or it's up so what, that's your business or, you know, it's defensive denial. Or counterattack, or just kind of caves in. So, this, uh, and yet the Buddha is saying, actually, you've got to get through this gate to arrive at uh, a release that's that's transformative, not just anaesthetics or distractions, but actually a, a release which transforms the way the mind operates. So, it's not just a temporary relief from this particular problem, but a whole structural rearrangement that means we don't pick up this sense of stress we don't, our minds don't operate in that way anymore and of course the fundamental um, cause we might say of, of that how the unsatisfactoriness and the painfulness and the disappointments um, bereavements and losses of life stick into us and cause us considerable stress and fretting is this it's called, it's called upadana clinging Clinging sounds as if it's something we consciously do. Feeding on is another way of looking at it. Taking it as a support. Yeah. Perhaps it's the most neutral way that you can put it. I would have put it very strongly to make the point strongly. But taking something as a support. Yeah. Which means we rest on something that isn't capable of doing the job. So it's like resting on a broken stick. You put your hand on it and you think, oh, and then it, you fall over because you're resting on something that can't support. And uh, so, what we the mind rests upon, called perceptions and feelings. So, the mind does not experience sound, sight, taste, touch. The mind experiences perceptions and feelings. So, the mind experiences, doesn't experience anybody else. Doesn't experience the world. Doesn't experience tomorrow or yesterday. Experiences the perception, the impression impression of this that my body uh, yesterday tomorrow him her it rests on that impression and is to just get that at least theoretical understanding the impression is not the same it's not the actual thing it's the impression <laughs> because this is where uh, we we can make this mistake and it's pretty pretty natural that instinctive impression is so instinctive and immediate, flashes up that we take that to be the reality because that's the only reality we can know. Conditioned reality is the perceptions, impressions that arise. (laughs) But what you do know is that your impressions of yourself and other people do change all the time. You know, you have difficult times, people become friends, then estranged, then bitter moments, and then this, that, this, that, life, you know. Goes through that, so we realise well, you know, where is the change occurring? Is it him? Is it her? Is it me? P- perhaps it's everything. We're in a continual process. You understand that intellectually, conceptually, we can put it together over a period of time, yeah, you know, which is good. But then, actually, the mind will still, by instinct, tend to rest upon those perceptions. And they'd be disappointed or excited, you know, or, oh, wow, this is going to be great. You know, this will be really wonderful. And when it isn't quite, you know. (coughs) So taking perceptions literally is uh, how people overspend because they think this thing, they really need it and it's wonderful. You've got to go out and buy it and get one and get two. In fact, special offer. You know, you can save 50 pounds by spending 150 pounds. You go, oh, yeah. And people believe it. <laughs> you can save the whole lot if you didn't spend anything, but people will, will still do that. Because the, the perception of saving, you know, money as a marketing ploy is an attractive one. Even if it means you're actually spending money. You know, it could have cost you 200. But look, the special deal: you only have to pay 150 quid. Wow. Let's get it quick, sign the check, get it going. Why buy it at all? Is perhaps the more accurate way of looking at it. Overspending, uh, substance abuse, you know, drink looks so nice, smells good, everybody's doing it, so on. Monastic life, you know, great places to meditate turn out to be, you know, noisy or bug infested or cold or this something or the other, you know. Um people you know, and we all know monastic life people who are keeping the precepts committed to awakening could still you can feel find and pretty irritating or disappointing or confusing. You know, you just wow, so the perceptions do change, and the perceptions of oneself, of course, uh you know, having a bad day, a good day, feeling welcome feeling rejected well you know those impressions big big things and they often trigger off all kinds of long term stored up perceptions and feelings the main of course the feeling simple feeling just means pleasure or pain pleasure or pain you know simple concept but my goodness what a what a hit those carry you know the rush of pleasure the, the burst of pain, how they push us around. So these two is what the mind rests upon, takes its takes its lead from, and because of that, comes up with sankara or activations, formations, particular responses we come up with, which is, you know, generally things like skillful ones, you know, release, let go, give, be patient, work with that meditate contemplate you know or the unskillful ones react and so <coughs> just we are you start the process is really starting to just work on the sankhara so that we do experience disagreeable perceptions but we say well just wait on that let's you know contemplate that widen you know uh, pause consider it contemplate it so you know, this is what we can do we can't really change the perceptions but you can start to change the responses to those you know so sometimes meditation seems to be boring waste of time or it seems to be sometimes you just feel so bristling with energy it's difficult to sit still sometimes it's so little of it you can hardly hold your head off the floor you know and just developing parami, perfections around these uh, all these changes that we go through, patience, energy, <coughs> and so on. And that's, so that's the first, you might say, the first aspect of meditation or cultivation, isn't it? You know, we establish a particular boundary, we're not. We're going to stay within this. We're not going outside this. We establish a moral boundary. We establish a kind of routine boundary. We'll stay within this. We'll be work within that, and then, you know, with what comes up, you start to check. Uh, on those impulses that occur, those cogitations that occur, those formations and programs that occur. You know. And it's always a. Uh, uh, uh a topic isn't it? because suddenly you know when you sit on retreat, suddenly you' all these things that you feel oh, my goodness I should do, I get these to do lists start popping up in my mind now I've got a bit of time I could do <laughs> you know i don't I don't want to go down to the pub and get drunk, but I do want to get my to do list ticked off, you know check off those to dos Wait, wait, wait. Have you ever got to the end of the to-do list? No. Will you ever get to the end of it? No. So where does it end? Now. <laughs> you know, it's things things like that. You start to see some of these compulsive programs and realizing with with experience that they don't take you to the place that you thought they were going to. They don't take you to the free offer. They don't take you to the end of the line. They just take you further along the same line of, of compulsions compulsive programs so we start to just check that it's because of that and it's disagreeable so of course the advice <coughs> on what meditation systems are about is to try to at least put some pleasant input into the mind so what's arising isn't triggering off too much of this difficult stuff. We start off with meditating not on dukkha, but more on sukha or, or upeka, neutrality. You know, so that, you know, so that the mind gets less jumpy, less reactive. Mm. Meditate on well, you know, we've heard it all before: breathing in, breathing out. Meditate on loving-kindness. Meditate on space. Meditate on simplicity of the body moving. You know, meditate. Give your mind something that's calming, endearing, great pleasant, the mind finds itself appreciating. You, know, that's just, you, know, so you create a boundary around that. Say, this is really what where I'm going to be. Mm. So we, we give it that. And even that takes quite a lot of lot of skill, <clears throat> because things keep moving in, jumping in, and so you know the advice for a meditator is that your your mind will will naturally leave the object many times so perhaps one of the key features of the practice is in the early stage of establishing a boundary is how to acknowledge that the mind has jumped over the wall how to reassess is this really a suitable meditation object meditation theme for you if it's too difficult too refined, or correct doesn't your mind doesn't want it you keep checking it out it's like offering the dog his dinner Dog does you know. Dog refuses to eat the dinner three times. You realise this isn't <laughs> the right food. So try another one. Give it a biscuit or something. Take it for a walk. So okay, just go and do some walking. Yeah. But at any rate, you know, always the return to the meditation object is uh, one of calm, not rather than frustration. So you start to check in with some of these. Got to get it right, programs or the identification with results, performance, cause and effect. The mind slips off. No, I don't know anybody's mind, who doesn't do that. So, you know, you're watching, following the rhythm of breathing. Mine, oh, there we go. And then, uh-huh, the moment, there's a moment when you recognize that, and that's the moment you want to get in with your kanti, your patience and your equanimity parameters, your kindness parameter, your wisdom parameters. Okay, let's just where's the breathing now? Returning to that, or whatever your meditation object is, <coughs> so that overall you start to build up this quality of, of equanimity and patience, or kindness. You know, so that that tonality. That intention fortifies the quality of mindfulness. It it, it gives it some, you know, specific um, backing. You know, and sometimes it's just the case you just need to be firm and stop dithering. <laughs> put some put some energy into it. But it's up to you, you know, you to know what. But you realise that yeah mindfulness is great but what is it what's needed to, to back that up to give it specific support and that's dependent on your own mental current and you recognize that in the times that where you' where you lose the meditation object what's the skillful means that brings you back to that without getting tight and reactive could be just a calm, steady look, enough of that back to that renunciation energy, effort, could be patience could be kindness, this then builds up the un- the underpinning of the meditation, so that becomes the, the perhaps your dominant theme, in a way how to keep that that intention in mind to support the quality of mindfulness. So you can't just do this on a theoretical level, like you should be mindful, you know, or mindfulness is the answer, because it needs something specific, homegrown, in your own mind to back it up. So that we do able to, uh, and that's what that quality. Which only will come out of the pro out of the practice is what enables your mindfulness to really meet what arises, because instead of the reactions that occur—frustration, uh, fascination, disappointment, blaming, and so forth—you get patience, equanimity, kindness, effort. Those come in. Mm-hmm. Then you able, that enables one to meet what arises instead of reacting to it, commenting on it, adding to it, making some person out of it, creating a person out of it. We meet what arises. Meeting is just like a very um, steady, simple quality. No opinions. And this is what gives rise right to insight, because we are not actually We're letting a thing speak for itself, instead of reacting to it. And what it what it will present is its impermanence, its change. It begins to kind of self unravel, you might say. And of course, the that's that's. You know, that's how dukkha unravels but to, to meet it without reaction is you know, probably 90% of the practice or a substantial proportion of the practice something arouses lust and you're caught in it you don't meet it, you just grabbed by it, something arouses hatred, you don't meet it, you just wound up by it something arou- creates doubt stimulates doubt and you're in there thrashing away You don't meet it. You're just meshed with it, which is a different thing altogether. Because your mind is still taking or in the habit of taking that perception as a support. So that gets supported or clings to or feeds upon the charge of passion, the charge of pain, the charge of delusion. The deluded mind still rests upon that. So it takes that in. And really, what you want to have as the primary perception that your mind rests on is impermanence, change. This is insubstantial. That you can't do that as an idea. You know. You know so, what is it that, that takes the sting out of those feelings and perceptions that arise? What is it that takes the hook out of them? <coughs> you know, is it patience, or equanimity, energy, discernment? a blending of that, through <coughs> mindfully bearing that in mind and putting that quality onto what's what's uh, catching us. Because most of us, I think, will recognize things are indeed pleasant and impermanent. Things are irritating and impermanent. Things are uh, Confusing and impermanent. Things are really, you know, this way and that way, busy and impermanent. They're they're both. But what what does your mind take its support from? (laughs) (laughs) Then it's crucial because if your mind takes its support from the happy, the sad, the disappointing, the exciting, the miserable, it's back in the old runaround again, isn't it? No, we're not denying that things have this other quality, this feeling quality of this perceptual quality of it which has relevance. It's relevant that things are like this and like that and this and like that. but how you tackle it is you've got to come to a place where your mind is not kicking up all that dust and reactivity around it. So your mind has got some space and some calm it's not taking a support on the pleasant or the unpleasant or the neutral. Not taking a support on the agreeable, the disagreeable, the confusing, whatever. So we, you know, it doesn't mean denying them. It means finding as a support the sign of impermanence, so that the reactivity and the clinging of the mind is released. Then we, you know. Meet that quality of pleasure or pain, uh, important, unimportant, see what it does. See what it does. In the big picture, you know, we contemplate things, we have to make decisions about what we're doing, where we're going, who, who we want to be with and so on. Uh, we don't want to make that from a reactive place. Okay. Just coming from a cool place. place of, well, for now, maybe this is what I don't want to do, what I want to be, what I have to pick up, what I want to put down. Okay, right. Yeah. And then you carry your parameter with you. Because on, you have to make these conventional relative decisions in this life, in all our lives, but you, you don't want to make heavy karma out of them. It's a matter of, just like, you know, it's just moving conditions around and then there's that sense in which you're not dismissing the relative or absolutizing the relative this is what you know meditation we can allow some of our processes some of our preoccupations to arise and just start to trawl through and mm, you know, this one's this one's so steeped in delusion, I don't trust it I'll I'll wait with that for a while until some of that's gone clear of course we can have various impressions about meditation itself, Buddhism monasticism, Sangha life You know, get very quite charged up about what we, how we understand dhamma, vinaya, meditation systems. You know, these things can carry huge charges for us. Hmm. So, try to find the something where it's, there's a, it's it's agreeable, it's pleasant, it's manageable, it's livable. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You know, on a large sense and also on the intimate sense, you've got a meditation practice that feels comfortable for you. It's, you can make it more comfortable. Then you can get a much, uh, then you're able to, to take advantage of that. To fortify, to strengthen, to the mind. Which is the aim of it and hopefully this is what a life here as summoners is about you know, people come, people go people disrobe people join, it's pretty much that's the way it goes it's not tragic, it's just that's the way it goes and there's an offering for you've got some time here to use, you know, supported to use to get your own clarity going you know you have time here to to you know, find your own place of being clear and truthful to yourself. And, you know, you do this for a year, half a year, week, five years, ten years. Good, great. And then, but make sure that you're doing it for that, that development of barame, strengthening, fortifying, so that you know you can make your conventional and relative decisions from a a place that you feel. You, t- you want to, you can take a stand on, you feel confident about, feel okay with, it. and that's going to change. Mm. But what doesn't change, or shouldn't change, is the way of uh, finding that place of meeting, finding the place where you touch ground, where you're not just reacting. Mm. It's really, you know, essentially it's through calm and insight. Through just getting the sense of the calming, steadying, and then contemplating the perceptions that arise to you. They don't carry the, the emotional charge or less. Mm-hmm. Finding the pleasant place, creating a boundary around that, sitting within that, walking within that, so you get something comfortable, agreeable. Learning to bring the mind back, this recollection in a way that is strengthening rather than debilitating, rather than the feeling of failure or frustration, just that Patience, kindness, compassion, okay, returning, checking it out, working with it. this way quite a lot of the pressure of our lives starts to you know, discharge just in that approach to ourselves, and that way of relating to ourselves takes a lot of the pressure off. It doesn't it doesn't really matter how long it takes for your mind to settle because you're always putting something agreeable into the Uh, into the mind.